0: I don't believe I've ever heard that last one before. So that was that was a new one for me. But thank you brother Mike for leading us through those songs. Tonight, we're going to be looking at kind of the continuation from what we were looking at last week. We're looking at 1st Chronicles chapter number 22. 1st Chronicles chapter 22, and tonight we'll look at the last 3 verses in the chapter. 1st Chronicles chapter 22 verses 17 through 19. In a sermon that I've titled, Don't Be a Wheelbarrow. Don't be a wheelbarrow. First Chronicles 22, 17-19. to 19. What is it that we are going to be remembered for? A hundred years from now, when people think about your life, what is it that they will remember? Will they remember the things that you said? Will they remember some of the things that you did? Will they remember where you lived, the kind of car that you drove? What piece of information would come to mind as people think of you 100 years from now? What do you want to be remembered for? Do you want to be remembered for being a good person, for being a good spouse, for being a good parent, for being a good child, a hard worker? Do you want to be remembered how much uh, you were able to contribute to society? Do you want it to be remembered of how often you volunteered or how much you were able to accomplish over the course of your life? We read in James chapter 4, in verse 14, it says, For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. I think we often forget about the eternal because we're too wrapped up in the temporal. We get so focused on this small portion of our lives that is going to be lived here on earth and lose sight of the fact that we have eternity to spend beyond this earth. And as a result, we end up focusing more on, a, more on, on making a mark on the temporal side of our lives, more so than on the eternal side of our lives, the part that is going to be lived once we leave this earth. And we concern ourselves with so much of what will no longer be thought of once we've moved on past this life. Now, that's not to say that the temporal things that we're going to be dealing with here on earth are not important, but in comparison to how much time we spend on these things as opposed to focusing on the eternal, it's usually not even close. Obviously, we need temporal things to survive, Uh, but focusing our attention on the temporal shouldn't come at the expense of the eternal. We don't realize how quickly this life is going to pass us by, in comparison to eternity, this life truly is, as James 4.14 says, just a vapor that is here one moment and then gone the next. A million years from now. Now, you may think that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but we're going to be around. A 1000000 You're not going to be around here on earth, but you're going to be around a million years from now. Are we, while we're enjoying, hopefully, the fullness of joy in God's presence as believers— Are we going to be thinking about the time that we spent on earth and the things that we were able to do during the short time of our eternity that we spent here in this life? That time, no matter how long or short of a life we've lived here, will barely be a blip on the timeline of our eternity. It's good for us to have an eye on the eternal because the majority of our lives, if we're believers, is going to be spent in heaven with the Lord. It should therefore be our desire to do all that we can to make an impact on the lives that, the, that God has put around us and make an impact for Christ. Uh, we should be active in ministry. We should, we should be pouring into the lives of the people that God has given around us. And as we previously discussed in other messages, others will come after us and continue the work that we started or that we have been doing. So we should set the proper tone so that those who come after us know how the work needs to continue. In Psalm 90 and verse number 17, Moses offered some words that we would all be wise to take to heart as we consider what it is we're leaving behind and what things that we're going to one day be remembered for. He says, let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. Many servants of God will do much work for, for God without seeing the end of Some believers are called, as we've spoken of before, some are called to plow, some are called to sow the seeds, some are then called to come after that and water the seeds, and others may come after that to be eventually the ones to reap the harvest. And for those servants who have an eye toward the eternal, They're not bothered at the thought that the results may not be seen in their lifetime, that all they may be doing is plowing or all they may be doing is sowing or all they may be doing is watering, but someone else after them beyond their lifetime may be the one to actually reap the harvest. For those servants who have an eye toward the eternal, they're not bothered by any of that. They're satisfied knowing that the work is going to continue on through other generations that are going to come up after them. They're content knowing that God is raising up others to come up after them, to bear the fruit, to bring in the harvest where they previously labored. Now, I know this can be kind of a difficult mindset to have, especially as we struggle with pride, which I think every single one of us struggle with pride to some degree. Because we want to share in the glory. We feel like our work isn't as good or effective if we're not able to reap in and enjoy some of the results. We feel like since we put in so much work, we should be able to see at least some of the good that comes as a result of all the work that we've put in. Pride can definitely be a thief of joy. And if we're not careful, pride can rob us of the joy that we all should have in the service for Christ, regardless of where in that line that you come. If you're plowing, sowing, watering, or even bringing in the harvest. If you're longing for earthly joy more than anything else, I promise you, you are going to be disappointed. And that's not to say that there won't be plenty of reasons for you to have joy here. However, your service to Christ will be lacking severely as you set your sights so low. God wants us looking beyond ourselves. He wants us looking to the greater work that he is doing through not only us, but through all of those that will eventually come after us. And The work doesn't end with us. When we leave this earth, ministry doesn't end. God is still at work in great ways through the many people that will come after us. And what a blessing it is to be part of something where God is is actively working and so actively working. Serve Christ as much as you can today and rejoice in knowing that God will work through someone else tomorrow. Take advantage of the opportunities you have to serve God today because the truth is that none of us know when the Lord is going to take us home. We had a really nice service yesterday for Ms. Sue Arzumanian. Zumanian. Now, we can say that, you know, she lived a good long life, and others may say that she had more life to live. But the truth is that none of us know when the Lord is going to call us home. So take advantage of the opportunities you have to serve God today because we never know when that day is going to come. Stay active in ministry. As Paul encouraged Timothy, be instant, in season, out of season. Always try to stay busy doing something for the Lord. It's been said that idle hands are the devil's workshop. Don't give the devil an opportunity to even gain the smallest foothold in your life because you're too lazy to do what you should be doing for the Lord today. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 tells us, it says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Don't be half-hearted in your service for the Lord. Give it everything that you have. In sports, we would say, leave it all on the field. When you're on the field, give 110%. So when the game is over, when everything is said and done, you know that you've given every ounce of your energy to that work. God is worthy of our best. So put your best foot forward in serving him. God isn't interested and he's not looking for half-hearted obedience. And honestly, is half-hearted obedience truly obedience? I don't think it is. He doesn't want you serving him, even out of a spirit of obligation. God wants you serving him because you want to serve him. And if you want to serve him, give him your all. Now, in the few verses that we're going to be looking at here this evening, we see David speaking now to the princes of Israel. Last week, we were looking at David giving at least what looks like one final charge to Solomon, as David recognizes that his time is coming to an end and he's essentially getting ready to pass the torch onto Solomon, who's going to be the next king. But now he shifts his focus onto the princes of Israel. And again, this picks up from where we left off last week. Just by way of reminder, David has purchased the land that is going to be used to be the site for the temple, for the house of the Lord. He has gathered all the resources, many of the materials that are going to be used for the building. He gave a charge to Solomon to keep God's statutes, to keep God's judgments, and to keep trusting in God every single day. And God had used David to not only gather all the resources that were going to be used for the construction of the house of the Lord, but he also used David to ensure peace and security from all the external threats. If you remember, one of the reasons that God gave to David that David was not going to be the one to build a house, he said, because you were too violent. You brought too much blood. David was constantly at war, whether with an exterior threat or within his own home. There was always turmoil. There was always tension. and. Because of how much bloodshed there was during the 40 years that he was king, God essentially said, it's not going to happen under, under your reign that the temple of the Lord is going to be built, but it's going to happen under your son Solomon. And fortunately for Solomon, David essentially cleared the way. He cleared not just the site, but he cleared the, 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 the pathway for peace because he fought off all the enemies and guaranteed a long, lengthy period of peace so that Solomon could just focus on building this house for the Lord. And Solomon's reign as king over Israel would be predominantly peaceful thanks to all the numerous victories that David, his father, had accomplished. So again, David fighting off nearly every enemy saw to it that Solomon could concentrate the time and effort he needed to build the house of the Lord. And so after David instructs Solomon to keep his eyes focused on God and to follow all the instructions that God had given regarding the construction of the house, he then turns his attention to the princes of Israel. Solomon is is going to need significant amount of help to build this house for the Lord. So David gives the orders to the princes so that they might also know how they're going to be used in this process. And notice what we read in verses 17 through 19 here in 1 Chronicles chapter number 22. 1 Chronicles 22, verses 17 through 19. David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying... Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into mine hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise therefore and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. Now what I love about this charge that David gives to the princes of Israel here is that he reminds them of the continuity of God's blessings. God was clearly with David throughout the duration of his 40 years as he sat upon the throne in Israel. There were certainly many ups and downs throughout his reign and throughout his life. But David was faithful to God. He blessed, God blessed him throughout those 40 years that David was on the throne. And even though it was, as we mentioned, David's desire to build a house for God, God told him that he would not be the one to do it, but that Solomon would be the one to build it. However, God allowed David to be instrumental in this process as he would use him to not just gather supplies but to also encourage and prepare the workers as well. We previously mentioned that, they, that there were 180,000 workers that worked on the house of the Lord over a period of seven years. 180,000 workers is an incredible amount. So God was indeed with Solomon as well as he provided everything Solomon would need for the house to be built. And now David is telling the princes that God is also with them. They're going to be called upon to be the ones to start the actual building process. And they were reminded that God is with them and will equip them for this incredible project. As you think about how much God has done for the people throughout Scripture, it's encouraging to know that God has endless storehouses of grace and blessings. Otherwise, I would certainly get nervous that God would have run out of grace and blessings to give to us because as you look at all the people and the amount that he has blessed some people throughout Scripture, it certainly seems that many were blessed in an incredible way. So I'm thankful that God has endless storehouses where he doesn't get to us and say, I'm sorry, I gave it all to David. Or I'm sorry, you know, Solomon used up every ounce of blessing that I could offer to build the house of the Lord, so you're just going to have to figure it out on your own. I'm thankful that that's not the case. But David, Solomon, and the princes of Israel, they were immensely blessed by God. And thankfully, God's resources were not completely exhausted by that incredible project. But the truth is that God never runs out. God never runs out of blessings to pour out upon us. And if we're not receiving them, it is only because we have done something to cut off the flow of God's blessings. There could be sin that is standing between us and God, and God desires to open up the windows of heaven, as he says in Scripture, and to daily pour out blessings upon us in such a grand way where we wouldn't even have room enough to receive it. The same God who was with David and with Solomon and with the princes of Israel, the same God who was with some of these uh, great uh, preachers of old, men like George Whitfield, John Wesley, George Mueller, and many others, this is the same God who promises to be with us today as well. There's no limit to the Lord's blessings. God has not stopped from being gracious to us today. We read in Isaiah 59 and verse number one, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Now the passage will later go on to say that God is not hearing them and not blessing them because there's sin in their lives. And again, if there is a problem, it's not on God's end, it's on our end. The point is that God continues to be gracious and he continues to do his work through all the different individuals that exist throughout history. God may welcome home to heaven one workman, but his work continues to go on through all the others that he has still serving him here on earth. God does not grow weary. God never gets discouraged. God will accomplish all of his purposes. The work of the church is going to continue long after we have left this earth until the day that God calls each of his believers home at the rapture, the work is going to continue. Believers are engaged in something of a a spiritual building process. God has sent his servants, all of his servants, into the world to, to gather together for his wonderful house, Stones that have been hewn out of the quarry of humanity to be shaped, to be polished, to be prepared into the temple of his grace. And the church in scripture, especially in the New Testament, is referred to as the living temple of God. And the work that God is doing in us as a body of believers, corporately, is incredibly beautiful. It is incredible to think that our hearts and our souls can be blended together and built up into a spiritual temple where God promises to dwell within us. God has built the church with believers. And we're to go forth and we're to shape, we're to hew more stones for the continued building of the house of the Lord that will endure forever. Look again at what David says at the beginning of verse number 18 here in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. He asks the question, Is not the Lord your God with you? Is not the Lord your God with you? Let me ask you, is not the Lord our God with us? Is he with us? Is not the Lord our God with us in everything that we put our hands to do for him? Is not God with us when we go out witnessing is, is not God with us whenever we get an opportunity to share the gospel? Is not God with us when we minister to the families that we have? Will he not continue to be with us forever? Has he not given you a burden for lost souls? Some of us, I think, need a refresher course on this because we sometimes act like we have no help in ministry at all or if we're all alone in what God has called us to do. The prophet Elijah, he went through a deep period of depression where he felt that he was all alone, that his entire life's work was all for nothing. And it's interesting because it came right on the heels of this incredible encounter that he had upon Mount Carmel where this showdown happened where the prophets of Baal tried almost the entire day praying and dancing and doing everything they could to call on Baal to have him send fire down from heaven and consume the altar that they had built up. And when it was Elijah's turn, he offered one quick prayer to God and just like that, God sent down fire from heaven and everyone could see the greatness of God in that moment. And it wasn't about just a day later that everything in Elijah's life quickly end up in a tailspin no sooner is he on a high after after that wonderful showdown and then praying again seven times and having the rain restored which had been gone for three and a half years he hears that Jezebel is threatening to take away his life and he runs away into the wilderness all by himself sits under a juniper tree and begs for God to end his life He calls to God and he says, I've been very jealous for you. I'm the only one that has left, which wasn't true. But he was thinking irrationally. He was convinced that he was all alone. He was convinced that everything he had done and all the years that he had been serving as a prophet of God was all in vain. That there was no use, that there was no benefit, that there was nothing of fruit to show to God. He said, God, I've been doing all this for you. No one wants to hear me. I've been laboring for you day and night and no one wants to listen to me. I've been doing all of this and no one cares. And God should have said to him, now you know how I feel. Because how many times does God have to speak to us for us to get the attention and get the message? And there was Elijah begging for God to take away his life because he was convinced that he was all alone and that all of the work that he had done amounted to nothing. There are definitely times Where we feel so discouraged, where we get to the point where we're thinking and talking irrationally like Elijah was. We must remember that God has never left us, that God has never forsaken us, that he is the one who has called us to this purpose. He has called us for this specific work and that he has also given us the Holy Spirit to live and dwell within us. It's good to remember our weaknesses and God's power and God's ability working in us. However, you shouldn't forever dwell on your weaknesses. Think about them, remind yourself of them, but then remind yourself also that God is living in you and he is powerful to get done what needs to get done in your life. Before David encouraged the princes of Israel here in 1 Chronicles 22 to work, He didn't point out all the areas that they were weak or all the areas that they were unskilled or unprepared to do this work. He didn't continually harp on their inability to use a hammer and didn't, you know, how to use a hammer and nails. David reminded them that God was with them and he pointed out how much God had already done for them. Look again at what we read there in verse number 18. So he starts off by drawing their attention to God. Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath he not given you rest on every side? So, again, reminding them of God's presence, but now he's saying, now look around and see everything that God has done to prepare you for this work. Hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into mine hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. He says, God is with you. God has taken care of the external threat. He has literally done everything you need to now start the building process. He's done all of this, he says. God has taken care of all the work. He has made sure that the work is going to be done. Is not the Lord our God with us as well? As God sends us out into the world to be his witnesses, is God not also with us? As believers, we've been made members of the body of Christ, a collective body, and and, and this is what the Holy Spirit dwells, not just within us individually, but also as a group. And if we, are to, if we are what we profess to be, we are the church of the living God. Will God not occupy the house that he has also built? Is not the Lord our God with us? If he is, whatever task he has called us to do, could anything ever be too difficult for us to, have, for us to accomplish? Will the same God who called you not also equip you for what he has called you to do? Will he not also prepare the way that you are about to go? Will he not also provide help along the way? Because every one of us are going to need it. Everything that God is using us to do for him is for his pleasure and is ultimately for his glory. So, of course, he is going to be with us every step of the way. We are his people, just like the house that was to be built here by Solomon would be his house. God made sure that David gathered all the resources, prepared the site, encouraged the workers. God would help Solomon in the building process by bringing him 180,000 workers over the period of seven years to see that the house would be completed. God would make sure that the entire house would be built to his specifications. God was at work through the entire process because he was with them who were preparing and who were doing the building. God is doing the same with each and every one of us because we, as believers, today are God's house. God not only does all this for us because we are his house, but because he is a loving father to all of his children, a loving and a caring father enjoys spending time with his children. I'm blessed, I am beyond blessed, to have my office be just a short walk from where I live. I'm able to go home every day, just about every day, to go and have lunch with my family, and while there are some days that the kids are crazy, I love being able to go home and have lunch with Ruthie and the kids. I also love playing with them. James, I'm sure you had a great time playing with your dad on Saturday, right? sure he did. <laughs> I love playing with my kids. I don't know what it is about playing with dad, but whenever I start playing with them, they take it to the next level for some reason, and I'm sure it has nothing to do with how crazy I get. It's probably mostly them, but I'll get on the ground, and I'll pretend to sometimes be a bear chasing after them, and I'll growl, and they'll get all excited, and, and um, they'll jump on my back. They'll try to tackle me. Levi will usually try to bite me, and the other two think it's absolutely hilarious to, to tickle me. I'm extremely, extremely ticklish, and often what ends up happening is that I have to tell them that there's no more tickling loud because I'm worried about flailing around uncontrollably as they're tickling me and hurting one of them, which can easily happen. I got pretty crazy the other night that my phone flew out of my pocket. I didn't even know it did, uh, and then I, I, because I didn't notice it right away but I noticed that there were only two kids attacking me. And I'm thinking, well, usually there's a third kid and looking for, a li- or looking for Levi and he was you know, hiding in a little tent that we have in our playroom. And there he is with my phone taking selfie after selfie after selfie. So I have about 20 selfies of a Levi's forehead on my phone. I can show you after the service if you'd like to see them. But it's a great time. It's a great time for me because I can lay aside every care. I can just disconnect from everything else in that time. And the point I'm trying to make is that loving fathers, they enjoy being around their children just as God enjoys being around his children. Our loving Heavenly Father enjoys every moment that we spend with him. God is at home with his children. God, and we we may not always think of it that way, we may not even, even realize that God is at home with us all the time, but God takes so much more pleasure, believe it or not, in us than we ever do in him. Even though there seems to be nothing in us that can give him any sort of pleasure, while there is in him everything that can offer us immense and eternal delight. What's our attitude? When we think about the work that we're doing and when we think about what it comes to serving Christ, what is our attitude? Here, what David is trying to do is trying to encourage the people to get busy doing the work focus on the fact that God is with them. So what is our attitude when it comes to serving Christ? How do we treat the time that we spend in church? The whole purpose, again, behind David's address to the princes of Israel was to motivate them, to motivate them to work, to see the big picture, to see just how God was working in them presently and how he'd worked in the past and how he would work in the future. How are we preparing for doing the Lord's work? For many people, their main focus is In coming to church is to sit down, sometimes just in the back row, and just be fed. And if you're sitting in the back row, I'm not picking on anyone. No one's really sitting in the back row. Oh, okay, just a few of you, but I'm not picking on you. Of course, everyone needs to be fed. We all need to be fed, but we have a greater business than to just come to church to be fed. Some Christians are being fed every week, but they're doing nothing with it. At times, I've even heard some of these people grumble about a specific sermon because they felt that it had nothing to do with them. Some Christians complain that there's no food for them in a specific message that was meant to lead the unsaved to salvation because they're already saved, so it meant nothing to them. And if God is with you, as he says he is, get busy doing his work. Some Christians are gigantic receptacles Of spiritual food, but let it never be true that we are living as Christians to only be fed. Don't depend upon others to tell you what you should be doing, figure it out for yourself by seeking God for help. Even if you're not sure what areas to be serving in, there are plenty of areas where you can serve as you figure out the specific area that God has called you to. Don't just sit back and tell yourself, oh, I don't know what God has called me to do, so until he parts the heavens and gives me a sign, I'm just gonna sit here and wait for that moment to come. Do the first thing that comes to mind. Just get busy serving the Lord. God may close doors and may close plenty of them as he's leading you to the exact place where you need to be. But that's part of the process of determining where he ultimately is leading you. Just don't be a wheelbarrow. Don't be a wheelbarrow. Now you're thinking, what in the world do you mean? I'm so glad that you asked. How many of you know what a wheelbarrow is? Now, you have a picture up there. But if you didn't have the picture up there, did you know what a wheelbarrow is? You're shaking your head, yes. Okay, some of you are probably lying like you just found out what it is tonight. But okay, that is a wheelbarrow. Over there, that is what a wheelbarrow looks like. Uh, We used to have one uh, before we moved here, and I would throw the kids in it, and I'd run them around the backyard, and they had a blast doing it. That's typically not what a wheelbarrow is used for, um, but it does serve a purpose to move things, usually dirt or stones or something from one place to the next. Now, a wheelbarrow is only going to move as far as you push it. And if you notice in the picture, there's only one wheel and so someone has to come up behind it and lift it and then push it. But once you set it down, it's not going anywhere unless it's sitting on a hill. But on level ground, it's not going anywhere. Don't be a wheelbarrow Christian. There are far too many Christians who are refusing to do any service for the Lord for all sorts of different reasons and will only go so far as other Christians come behind them and push them to do something. I'm sure we all know people like this, and maybe you're one of these wheelbarrow Christians, and if you're not constantly being nudged, or if you're not constantly nudging someone to do something, or you're constantly not in their ears saying, listen, this needs to get done, could you take care of this? They're not going to keep busy doing what they should be doing. These were Christians, they're full of every excuse in the book. Well, I'm not the right person for the job. I couldn't possibly do that. I'm not ready for that just yet. I wouldn't even know what to say. What if it doesn't go well? And there's a million other excuses, all of which they've got just tucked away, waiting to be used at any moment when they're called into some sort of service. God doesn't call everyone to do the same job. But he calls every believer to be active in ministry. You never know how much the Lord will use you to be a blessing to someone else. But you have to take the first step. You're not alone in ministry. The Lord is with you every step of the way. When you look back at the passage here in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, you find that David started by encouraging the people by reminding them of God's presence and everything that God had done to prepare them the way. And then notice what he says at the end in verse number 19. He says, Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. So what he says here makes perfect sense. And it's a wonder why we don't do this enough. Start by reminding yourself that God is with you in everything that you're doing for him. That God has prepared you, that God has equipped you, that God has even gone before you. Therefore, after you do that, then set your heart and your soul to seek him, as it says there at the beginning of verse number 19. I feel like there are so many Christians who are not only wheelbarrows, but they're just flat out asleep, I think there are a lot of preachers who are preaching as if they're not yet woken up. And the people hear the message in the same way. Think about it. In every church, there are people who, if they hear keys rattling, or if they hear a cell phone going off, or if they hear someone sniffle, they immediately wake up and they're trying to identify who it was. I wonder whose keys those were. I wonder whose cell phone's going off. I wonder who sniffled. It's like they were asleep the entire time, but that little sound woke them up. But when the gospel is preached, somehow they are perfectly content staying asleep. It's almost as if the rattling of the keys, the cell phone, the sniffling, interrupted a peaceful nap that they were enjoying, and the preacher's message was nothing more than a soft lullaby. For many of these people, the thought of sharing the gospel, ministering to the needs of others, serving as a light in this dark world, never occurred to them. Some of us are hung up on not knowing what we can do. And if the verse is true that the Lord, our God, is with us, don't ever think that you can't be doing something for the Lord. For those who are using that as an excuse, there are plenty of opportunities to get involved in ministry. You're just lying to yourself because you don't want to do anything. You're content being the wheelbarrow. You're waiting for the heavens to part and for God to give you a sign as to show you how you should be serving him while you sit around and wait? How about in the meantime, you serve in one of the millions of areas he has made available. Let him close the doors as you try and go through them. In many cases, God is opening doors. And rather than us walking through them, we're trying to close them. There are already plenty, far too many wheelbarrow Christians. We don't need any more of them. We need believers who will be different We need believers who will be active in ministry, who will be courageous to jump through every door that God opens, fully trusting that God is not only with them, but that he is also going before them. So I leave you the words there in verse 19. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, we thank you Lord, that we're able to come before you and know that in every area of ministry that you have called us individually as well as collectively to, Lord, you are not only with us, but you have paved the way for us and you're preparing the way before us. I ask, Lord, that you would encourage us, help us to be listening intently to the Holy Spirit who is calling us to seek you with everything that is within us. And Lord, I pray that we would see a tremendous work being done. Lord, maybe not in our lifetime, but Lord, through the collective work that is done through the many people that you use, I just pray, Lord, that we would be able to take part in the wonderful, blessed opportunity it is to serve in your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.